And yeah, we are continuing in our study of 2 Timothy tonight. We'll be in uh, 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8, if you want to get started turning there. But um, we actually, actually, tonight's the second to last week. Uh, we'll be wrapping up the rest of the chapter next week. But, um, but we're nearing the end. And so we recently finished chapter 3 a couple of weeks ago and talked about how the Word of God is sufficient for us in these last days. Um, because it was given by inspiration of God, and it's been preserved by the priesthood of believers throughout the ages. And we can allow it to be our final authority in all matters of faith and practice in this life. And last week we started chapter 4, where we opened up by talking about our duty in the last days. Since we have God's Word and His words available to us today, our job is to share that, right? We're to be preachers of the Word. And that doesn't mean you have to, to stand up here um, necessarily, but you should be speaking the words of God to all of those that you come into contact with in your life. And at the end of the day, when you cross the finish line of your life, if you've done that faithfully, you're going to have lived a life that you won't regret. You'll be pleased with the rewards that you get in the next life. So we're going to talk tonight about getting to that point, about getting to your finish line and doing it well. So if you're in Second Timothy chapter 4, like I said, we're going to read verses 5 through 8. Starting at verse 5, it says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. And while Paul doesn't specifically mention a race here, um, we know that he does compare this Christian life to a race. Since he says here that he's finished his course, man, it means he knows he's ran well. He knows what's awaiting him on the other side because of it. And you run a race not simply to be on the course, man, but you run the race to finish the course, right? And to finish the course well, to obtain the prize. And that's certainly what we want for our lives and certainly what Paul wanted for Timothy's life as he's passing the baton on to him. And we know that this life is going to come to an end for us someday. So we should run our race to the finish and run it well. We want the prize of a life well run. So we're going to dive into our passage tonight with this theme in mind and knowing that we all want to be able to say the same things that Paul does in this passage, that we want to finish our course like he does. So let's go before the Lord and ask him to teach us as we open the word. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we, we thank you so much for providing uh, your perfectly preserved word for us to dig into. Um, and we're so grateful that, that it's inspired and that you preserved it um, and that we can get to know you through it, uh, that we can be guided uh, on, on this race that we, we run by your word. Um, help us to, um, to, to see what you've got to say to us tonight, um, to apply it to our lives, and, and I pray that all of us could leave here better for it. Um, that we would be able to, to um, run this race of life even better, um, more in your image and more usable to you um, and, and, and to, to be pleasing to you. Um, I pray that, that you would just give us open hearts um, and ears to hear tonight and that you be glorified through all of it. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so if, if you want to be able to say what Paul did, if you want to be able to say you finished your course, then you're going to need to do some things that we're going to talk about tonight. And while these things aren't necessarily complex, they're pretty straightforward, actually, um, but they're still very critical to finishing well. 
So first, point number one, if you want to finish well, you have to run the race. You have to run your race. As I already mentioned, if you're a Christian in the room tonight, you're in a race. But that doesn't automatically mean that you're running, nor does it automatically mean that you're on course. But we'll talk about those in a minute. Uh, before we can even get into those details, then we first have to make sure that we are in the race, right? If you're not in the race, you've got to get in the race. So we're going to see a little bit of Paul's story tonight to help us outline this first point. So considering the beginning of Paul's race, man, he, there was a time when he wasn't, he wasn't even in it. He first had to get in the race. Many of you are probably familiar with the story of Paul's conversion on his road to Damascus, right? God, of course, had a purpose for Paul's life. He had a course for him to run. Um, but Paul had to get saved first. Before he could fulfill God's plan for his life, he had to be surrendered to Christ. And this is the first step to being able uh, to, even, to run your race is, is getting in it. Check out Paul's recounting of his salvation story in Acts 22, 6 through 10. And it came to pass that as I made my journey, and Paul was heading to Damascus to persecute Christians, right? Uh, and so as I made my journey, I was come nigh unto Damascus about noon. Suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell into the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which, thou, which are appointed for thee to do. So Paul surrenders his life to Christ. He gets saved, and that's how every Christian begins his race. He must get saved. So, have you surrendered your life to Christ in salvation? And if you haven't, then you're not in the race. You need to do that first. You need to get in the race. You need to get saved. And now Paul's salvation is very unique, um, considering the physical miracles that were involved. So don't be confused by that. If you want to get in the race, you've got to get saved. And to do that, man, you need to understand the gospel. You have to understand the fact that God came to this planet as a perfectly sinless man. He died on the cross to pay for your sin, and he rose again from the grave three days later. And once you understand that, man, you have a decision to make based on that. You've got to surrender your life to the Lord, Jesus Christ, based on that fact. Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9, he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So please consider this tonight if you need to do that. Don't leave here without talking to one of us about that decision if you've never made that. Make sure that you leave here in the race. And for those of us that are already sure that we've done that, then like Paul says in verse 7, we also want to finish well. So to do that, you have to make sure that you're running we have to get moving. What we do in this life is how we're running. So we got to get moving. We need to take note of these things that Paul tells Timothy here so that we can make sure that we're running the best race that we can. Back to verse 5, chapter, chapter 4. He says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And so the first thing Paul tells Timothy to do is to watch in all things. And this word watch uh, is an interesting word. It's, it's a really simple word and a really simple concept on the surface. 
but it can have some pretty deep implications. To watch, you know, it means to see something, right? It's, it's what your attention is focused on. Basically, in the Bible, it can span from those simple terms to more weighty terms like to witness or guard. Uh, early last year, we went through a series called Watch Out, and we talked about being watchmen, right? A watchman is, is someone who watches or guards. A watchman watches from a watchtower and guards the night. As a matter of fact, the night is split up into four shifts or four time periods because of that. There are four watches of the night. There's time involved. So look at these deeper implications of the word in these, in these next three verses. In Matthew 24, 42, Jesus says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. So watching is associated with a sense of spiritual timing, of the Lord's return. And look at what Jesus asked Peter, James, and John to do when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. Later in Matthew 26, 38, he says, Then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Jesus asked them to join him in what he's doing. Right? He wants them to do that also. And, and what he's doing, he says, watch with me. He says he's watching. But you know what he went and did. He went and prayed. He calls watching praying. And so th- there's a connection there with praying and watching. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, Paul said, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Watching is said to be an opposition of sleeping. So be attentive, be aware. And it's connected with a clear, sensible, sober mind. So Paul doesn't want Timothy simply to to be seeing everything that's around him, but to specifically pay attention to the things that are happening around him with anticipation of knowing where they're headed. With knowing the, the, the spiritual, with a spiritual alertness of knowing what's going on. Watching is contrary to sleeping. We're to be sober. Man, don't be caught off guard, but watch. Be aware of your circumstances. Have spiritual alertness of the world around you. Spiritual sobriety. And if you're watching, you're also going to be praying because you're invested in the spiritual element of the things that you're observing. So considering the last days we've been talking about, we definitely need to be watching, right? We need to have a good sense of spiritual time, knowing that these are the last days and Jesus is coming back soon. So we should be in constant prayer about what we see and not allow this present evil world to intoxicate us with fear and propaganda. In order to run, you have to have your eyes open or you're, you're going to get hurt. And if you're watching, man, you'll be sensitive to the Spirit as he's leading you on your course. And the next thing that Paul says to Timothy, he says he needs to endure affliction, afflictions. And if you remember, we, we've talked about enduring and persecution um, just a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 3. And like we saw then, Timothy was well aware of the persecutions and afflictions that came unto Paul when he was at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. Uh, and Paul was in those places on his first missionary journey. And he endured a ton of persecution and affliction in those places. Basically, um, it was at the end of his first missionary journey, if you're familiar of the story where he was stoned and, and left for dead, uh, that was at the end of his first missionary journey. It happened in, in Lystra. And man, I'd say that's some pretty serious affliction. That's top-notch affliction right there. But when Paul goes back to that same place, back to Lystra on his second missionary journey, that's where he picks Timothy up. So I can imagine Timothy was well, well aware of what Paul went through. 
But in this second letter to Timothy, we've already seen Paul mention his present affliction and encourage Timothy near the beginning of his letter. In, in chapter 1, verse 8, he said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Paul was a prisoner under house arrest at this time. And that's because Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel and he cared about the salvation of others. He told Timothy a little later, I put it on your sheet, we won't look at it, but he told him later in chapter 2, verse 10, that he endured those things because he wanted other people to be saved. It was because of the gospel that Paul was in the circumstances that he was in. And, he, and, and because of that, he suffered the things that he did. And he encourages Timothy to do the same. Time would fail us tonight to look any further into more of Paul's afflictions, but you can check them out later on your own in 2, Timothy, or 2 Corinthians 11, 21 through 30. Paul had a hard life, and he was willing to make sacrifices of comfort for the sake of the gospel. And he learned to embrace weaknesses because it allowed him to be stronger in Christ. He said in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This present Christian life is a life of affliction if we're living of and for the gospel. But those affliction, afflictions can make you more like Christ and more usable to Christ. Man, so run your race by enduring afflictions. Any race is difficult in the moment, but you've got to endure. Paul, who endured so much affliction, wrote this to the Corinthians. In chapter 4, verse 17, he said, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And knowing that, are you enduring afflictions for the gospel's sake? Do you sacrifice your time and your comfort for the gospel, for the ministry? We need to not hold back just because it might hurt a little bit. It'll only be a short time and then the race will be over. We need to put forth maximum effort. You got to turn up the heat. You got to run faster. And if you suffer some hardship because of it, you got to endure. Moving on. Paul tells Timothy that he needs to do the work of an evangelist. And, and uncertainly, I mean, I think of evangelism, and I think of Paul. Paul was an evangelist, although he was never specifically stated as such. But, but we know by what he does, and of course what he suffers, and that he certainly did evangelize. And Timothy would have joined him on, on his efforts when he picked him up on his second missionary journey. And I mean, that's what missionaries do, right? They evangelize, certainly. But the only guy ever explicitly called an evangelist in Scripture is Philip. And this guy shows up in Acts 21.8. And Paul stayed with him before his final journey back to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 8, And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. So Philip, he was one of the seven deacons selected in the early church uh, in Jerusalem back in Acts 6. And he's called an evangelist. So what, what work do we see him doing then? Well, he's preaching Christ everywhere he goes, of course. In Acts 8.5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. He preached. But if you jump down to verse 12, it continues and says, But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men, men and women. So we see Philip going to the people that need Christ and preaching to them and they get saved and they get baptized. That's the great commission right there. That's obedience to Matthew 28 if I've ever seen it. 
and we won't look at it, but after this, the Spirit tells Philip to go down the south towards Gaza where he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. He preaches to him and he baptizes him. And that's one of the best examples of salvation and baptism that we have for, through that obedience. I'm talking about Acts 8, 36, and 37. We, we memorize those verses in discipleship. And this guy had a real gift of evangelism. And he had a ton of fruit. But the gifting and the fruit aren't necessarily up to us. Man, leave that increase up to God. But whether we have the gift of evangelism or not, the point is that you need to put in the work of an evangelist. Notice a couple of things about Philip. He went and he preached. We talked about our need to be preachers last week. Again, not that you have to stand up here, but Philip was able to begin at the same scripture where the guy was reading, the Ethiopian eunuch, and he preached unto him Christ. We need to be able to do that. And to be able to, man, that means we're going to need to be able to put in the work to be able to do that. 2 Timothy 2.15, you're aware of it, right? We've got to study to show ourselves approved. A workman. We've got to do the work of an evangelist. I mean, bare minimum, can you at least walk someone through the Romans road, explain salvation to them? We need to put in the work so that we're equipped to do what 1 Peter 3.15 says. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. We should have our testimonies worked out and a strategy of sharing the gospel. Do that work ahead of time. But also we have to go. He didn't just preach, he, he went and preached. He, Philip, he had to go. He went to the people that he evangelized to. We have to make a point to go to the people that need the gospel so that we can evangelize to them. Don't only expect them to come to us. We need to be intentional about going to them. And back in Acts 8.30, it says, And Philip ran thither to him. We need to run our race by running the message to those that need it. Do the work of an evangelist. But just because we're running doesn't automatically mean that we're on course. Some men spend their whole lives climbing the ladder only to get to the top and realize it's leaning on the wrong building. Don't let that be you. You got to get on course. God has a unique plan for each of our lives. He's got a specific course for each of us, a specific way that we should run. Of course, Paul had a specific course. On the way back from his last missionary journey, he called all of the Ephesian elders together so that he could see them and encourage them one last time because he knew that he wasn't going to see him again because he was going to go to Jerusalem where he knew he was going to be bound and probably killed. He could see his finish line. Look at what he tells these elders to do in Acts 20, 24. He says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. This is what he's telling these guys, his final message to them. Paul's course and his ministry are connected here. They were to testify of the gospel, the grace of God. And we, we didn't look at the, we, we looked at his recounting of his salvation testimony, but in Acts 9, where it actually happened, uh, his, his testifying of the gospel, the grace of God, man, that's outlined for you as specifically to the Gentiles, to Israel and kings. And at, at this point in Paul's ministry, when he's talking to these guys, uh, these Ephesian elders in Acts 20, man, the only thing he's got left to do is to be a witness before kings and rulers. And that's connected with his imprisonment. 
So by the time he writes this letter to Timothy then, he's already done that. He's a Roman prisoner. And so he says his course is finished. His testifying and his witnessing were over. He, he had already done that to the kings and the rulers. Certainly he had been a witness to the Gentiles all over on his missionary journeys and to the children of Israel in the synagogues throughout and before kings and rulers in Jerusalem and Rome. And so, but notice in verse 7 of our, of our passage, he says, I have finished my course. Paul had a specific course for his life that looked different than Timothy's. And so following this idea will drive us into the last thing Paul tells Timothy. Make full proof of thy ministry. Notice Timothy, you make full proof of your ministry. Paul knew he finished his own course, but Timothy needs to finish the course that he's got. And Timothy has a specific course that looked different from Paul's. And we have different courses that might look different from each other's, from Timothy's, from Paul's. Man, but we all have a specific course, a way, or a ministry that we're going to serve the king with our lives. So as you run this life, prove that out. Test it. Figure out where the Spirit is guiding you to serve. How God wants to use you specifically. Paul tells the Galatians in Galatians 6, 4, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. We all have our own work to do and our own finish line to cross. And we'll all get our own rewards for our own work. So make sure you're doing the work God wants you to be doing or else it's not going to stand. It won't last. So you also have to prove that ministry itself to make sure that it's biblical. If what you're doing isn't biblical, it's not going to last, right? It won't be legit. And don't think that you have to have all the answers for your whole life story right now. I mean, even when you are on course, it doesn't necessarily mean you can see the whole way all at once, right? Frequently, actually, it, it, it only means you can see the part that you're immediately on, your next step. And th- that's why you always need to be testing and proving it by walking in the Spirit and in the Word. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Just keep on path, one stride at a time, as you let the Word light the way. After all, we live in the spiritual night, right? And, and have patience with that process. It might take time, but have patience. Hebrews 12.1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. This race takes patience. You don't know how long you've got. So you just have to keep running. Stay on course. And if you're doing these things we looked at, you'll be running a good race. So be patient. Don't stop. Don't deviate. And so our second point for study tonight then is if, if you want to finish well, and once you're running the race, you've got to remain in route. Keep going. Verses four, or chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. We've already looked a lot at Paul's race tonight. He didn't stop running and he didn't deviate from his course. He was always en route and that's why he was able to finish well. So if you want to finish well, we've got to keep going. Last week we looked at the verses preceding our passage and actually, ironically enough, the last point for last week's message uh, that was about the people we saw in these in verses three and four before our passage, uh, and we called them the running jerks. We're continuing. We're backtracking this theme here. 
2 uh, Timothy 4, 3 through 4, it says, for the, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Like we talked about last week, there are people who, who will have the truth, yet they will deviate from it. They get off course. They don't keep going. Obviously, those people are not going to finish well. And that's why Paul tells Timothy what he does in verse 5. It starts with the word, but. These people will turn from the truth, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. These people blew it. They stopped working. But in contrast to that, don't you do that. You need to work. You need to run. And don't stop. Keep doing the things that we talked about in point one. You got to keep moving. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So allow me to exhort you guys. Continue running your race. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't deviate. Keep watching. Keep enduring. Keep working. And keep proving. Keep moving. What would it take to slow you down? What are you going to allow to take you off course? Guys, nothing in this life is worth a poor finish. Don't let anything hinder your race. The church in Galatia was having a problem with this. Paul told him, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? When you stop your obedience to the truth, you're going to mess up your race. You won't be running very well. You're going to be like the running jerks, and you're going to get off course. So maintain your obedience to the truth and keep running the race. And if it's your goal to keep moving, well, you also probably shouldn't hang out with the people that don't. Uh, Notice Paul asked the Galatians, who did hinder you? And don't reduce your goal to simply finishing the race. It should be to finish the race well. And to do that, not only do you have to keep moving, you got to keep moving at a good pace. So if you want to finish well, you got to remain in route with the pack. If you fall behind everybody, you're not going to place very well. So you got to keep the pace. We may all have a specific and unique course for our life, our life but that does not mean that it's never going to overlap. We need to run with the pack. Don't fall behind. And don't let any of your brothers or sisters fall behind either. The unique, thing about this, the unique thing about this race is that everyone is on the same team. So are you keeping pace with the pack? Meaning, are you surrounding yourself with other brothers and sisters that are running on course? You're here tonight. That's a great start. How involved are you outside of Tuesdays, though? Are you plugged in on Sundays? Do you join us for the training hour and prayer nights? Are you involved in discipleship or MTT or LFBI? Are you keeping pace? Who do you spend most of your time with? Are they a good influence on you? I've heard it said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And there's some truth to that. Similarly, man, you are the average of your five closest friends. I've heard that said as well. If you've purposed to keep going and to finish well, then you need to be running with the right people. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. 
but in the multitude of counselors, they're established. So if you're keeping pace, that means you'll be surrounded by the right people, which will also encourage you to keep going, right? Because you don't want to fall behind. Keep up with the people that you can follow. They're going to help your race. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. The Corinthians were supposed to follow Paul as he followed Christ. And Timothy certainly followed Paul. So the question is, are you following your leaders? Let them set, set the pace and keep that pace. And actually, that's kind of one of the main things that Paul's trying to get across to Timothy in our passage tonight. Paul tells Timothy that his race is finished and Timothy needs to carry the baton. He tells him in verse 5, you need to run your race for or because, verse 6, because I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul, Timothy's leader, is going to die. He's leaving. His race is finished and he's out of here. Timothy needs to run his race because Paul's race is finished. So it's up to Timothy to carry the torch. Timothy needs to keep the pace that Paul set and remain en route until Timothy's race is finished. And eventually, if the Lord tarry, our leaders are going to finish their courses. And they'll leave too. And it'll be up to us to remain en route and to keep the pace that they set. They've taught us to run, and they'll help us find our course, and then they'll be handing the baton off to us. So take advantage of following them while you can. Keep the pace. Learn from them because the next generation will be counting on us to help them. We'll be to them what our leaders are to us today if we keep pace. So we need to remain in route now. And I mentioned that we're all on the same team. And the awesome thing is that it's the winning team. Amen? Christ ran his race so well that it doesn't matter how bad any of us run, any of us run we're, our team's still going to win. And that being said, our placement is determined based off of his time. His race is the standard. He's got all the rewards and will be the judge of each and every person's race in this room tonight. So ultimately, we need to be running this race based off of the pace that he set. Look one more time with me at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus. Notice that not only will we need to run patiently, but we need to keep our eyes fixed on him. When we reach the end, we're going to see him. He's the author and, and finisher of our faith. He made us and he fashioned us in such a way that we can all run our specific races. And when we do so, he's going to be our judge that we'll meet in the end. He'll do the placing. He'll do the rewarding. So keep looking towards him and keep those things in mind. And that brings us to our last point. If we want to finish well, we should regard the rewards now. Regard the rewards. 2 Timothy 4.8 Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Since Paul is confident in his performance of the race of his life, he knows exactly what's waiting for him at the finish line. 
And notice, not for him only, but for everyone that finishes well. Finishes well. The end of the race should motivate us now. Regarding the rewards can help keep us motivated the whole way. And if you've ever actually run a physical race, you know this is true. Man, it's never fun in the moment. But this makes it all worth it in the end. This is what you're thinking about that whole time. Is man, what am I going to get at the end? And that can motivate you along the way. Last week, we also mentioned the righteous judge, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I already mentioned, he's the judge of our performance in this race. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it's good or bad. So this judgment should always be on your mind as you're trying to find the motivation to press on. And he's the best person to be the judge because he ran a perfect race. He's already won. He's got the unbeatable record. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So even though sometimes you may feel like the, the race of this life isn't ever going to end, or, or maybe it's never going to matter, man, know that it will. When you cross your finish line, the race will be over, and all of the running will end, and the placement will be judged by the perfect runner. But first, one of the first things you think about in the midst of the race is, is resting, is being done, is that you get to stop running, right? Is the absolute rest that's awaiting at the finish line. I mentioned already that we're on the winning team, and that's because of Christ. But notice when Paul says he'll receive his reward. He says that it will be in that day. Now, of course, it's, it's the day after that he crosses the finish line of his life. Of course, it's after that point. But the phrase, that day, is a key verse in Scripture. And we don't have time to go through the study. I put some verses on your sheet for you. We're not going to look at them. You can take a look later if you want. But man, the, the phrase, that day, ultimately it points to the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ on this planet that starts at his second coming. It's the millennial reign. This is that great and notable day of the Lord of Acts 2.20. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about when the times of refreshings come from the presence of the Lord and the restitution of all things, like Acts, those verses in Acts 3 say. And that will be a period of rest. Our race will be over at that point. Selah, no more watching, because our faith will be made sight. No more afflictions, because we'll be given glorified bodies. No more work as evangelists, because all shall know him. No more proving, because our ministries will be complete. And we will all get to look forward to that day at the end of our race. Just for being on the winning team. Just for being saved. Amen. So look to that day for your rest, and allow that to motivate you to finish strong now. However, just like any race, there are medals to be gained at the end. There are riches available for your performance. So while the rest that comes is free, these are not. They're only available to those that finish well. So Paul specifically mentions the crown of righteousness that's laid up for him because he fought a good fight, because he finished the course, because he kept his faith. Those are performance-based measures. 
They revolve around how well he ran his race. And that crown is available to everyone that loves Christ's appearing. Those that love his appearance are motivated to work now for when he's going to show up then. A child that's given a task to do while his parents are gone, he dreads their return if he doesn't do what they asked him to do, right? But if he does do what they ask, if he is obedient, he can't wait till they get back so that he can show him, show them his, his obedience, right? And so it is with us. When we know we've run a good race, we're excited for, for the judge's return. And this is just one crown of the five that we see in Scripture Again, the other ones are on your sheet. They're just there for your reference. We're not going to look at them tonight for time's sake. But, um, and hey, I pulled those directly from our discipleship material. So if you want to know more about them, man, get on pace and get discipled, right? But, man, those crowns are all going to make a difference in the end. You will want those crowns at that day. Have you ever ran a race and just barely missed placing or getting a medal? It sucks. I've been there a lot, actually, (laughs) running races and not getting medals. Um, Man, you recount the whole race in your mind, and you just want so bad to go back and push yourself a little harder, run a little faster. You wish you would have ran better. Man, don't let that be your life at your finish line. Regard these rewards now as a motivating factor. After all, you don't know when your finish line will be. So run each day like you're going to cross it tomorrow, like you get the rewards and the crowns tomorrow. It may be that close. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. The point is, you don't get any rewards unless you're running intentionally. You're going to have to run well, and you're going to have to be intentional about that. So, run hard. Stay on course. Don't stop. Run fast. And if you do that, you'll be able to rejoice with your prizes when the race is over and the rest comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, again, we, we come before you just um, so thankful um, for what you've done for us. Uh, Lord, the, the, this life can be hard sometimes. We get caught up in it and we think, uh, we think we can't make it to the end. We, you know, we don't know when the end is and it's just, it's hard to keep you in sight sometimes. Uh, man, but, but we know that you know what we're going through. Uh, you did it. You lived this life and you did it right. You ran the perfect race. We're so grateful for that. Thank you for that. And yet you still even help us with ours. Thank you for that. You're our coach motivating us. You've given us your spirit um, to guide us along the way, to keep us on course. I pray that we could be sensitive to him uh, as he leads us, that we could keep our noses in the book, um, to to be able to, to hear what he's saying, to be able to make ourselves look more like you, to be in better shape, to run faster, to keep going. Help us to be evangelists to the lost world, uh, to keep our eyes watching for you, understanding the world that we live in and in our time in history. We thank you so much for putting up with us. Um, pray that, that you would be glorified through our lives and help us just to keep these things in mind and, and to do better and to please you. That's ultimately what we want.
Thank you so much for tonight. Uh, again, thanks for your word and, and for letting us be here. In your name we pray. Amen.